all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking, the show all about you and your family. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, Medical Director for the Center for the Advancement of Youth at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Are smartphones and social media use affecting the way we communicate? Do we have as much ability to feel empathy as we used to? Does our addiction to faceless technology diminish our emotional response? Maybe. Let's talk about what's going on in your life. You can share your comments and experiences with us this morning by calling 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. This is Relatively Speaking from MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Good morning and thanks for listening. Today we're talking about social media, smartphones. So do you think smartphones and social media use are affecting the way that we all communicate? Do you think that we have um, the same ability now to feel empathy as we used to? Do you think our addiction to this faceless, many times, technology diminishes our emotional response? My contention is maybe, in fact, probably, I want to hear what you think about this and how you've managed it in your life as you're moving along with this social media. And I I want us to talk about empathy and really what it is. So you can give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can send an email to family at mpbonline.org to join the conversation about this. So, yeah, I know we've got Valentine's coming up in just a, a couple of days. and But I really don't want to so much talk about Valentine's. We can. But more about relationships and our relationship with technology and how it has come to really affect the way we communicate. It also affects maybe some deeper ways that we interact with people and connect with people and And I contend that it probably is affecting our ability to understand other people's feelings. You know, now we always have a forum. We never have to be alone, though some people many times do still feel lonely. You can still reach out on social media. You don't have to worry about being bored. You can always get on some sort of electronic device and occupy yourself. So is that good? 
Um, what do you think? Do you think it's good to always have your mind occupied? We're going to talk about that. The other thing is empathy. And I want us to understand, the listeners, um, what empathy is as we're talking about it. So it's not sympathy. It's not feeling sorry for someone. But empathy is understanding somebody's thoughts, their feelings, um, sort of their point of view, um, rather than, than just your own. So if you're truly empathetic... It requires that you have to listen and process what's happening. So to listen and process what's happening as you are talking to someone, um, what do you use as you listen and process? You don't just use their words, what they're saying, but you also use their body language, their facial expression. Um, you can whether they sit on the edge of your chair as they're listening to you, whether they have their shoulders hunched over like they're sad or their arms crossed. Those are all those nonverbal communication skills that we use as we're trying to understand where someone else is in our conversation. So I want you to keep that in mind as we go through this. Um, And just want to remind you that without that empathy, we could live and work with other people, but kind of be clueless about what's really going on with those other people. So empathy is one of those important things. And my concern is, are we losing some of that? And as we move along, I want to talk about why we need face-to-face communication. But before we get to why we need face-to-face communication, I think you all know that, um, but I want you to just process through this um, as we go. Um, Today, I'm delighted to have Emily Warner, who's a speech pathologist and clinical fellow at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, with us. And she's going to help us talk through communication, how it develops, um, why we need more than just those words in our communication. Uh, So welcome, Emily. Thanks for being here. I'm happy to be here. Um, A little bit about myself. I was born and raised in Madison, Mississippi. I completed my undergraduate at the University of Mississippi. And just received my master's in communicative disorders at Jackson State University in April of 2018. Right. And so now you're with us for a year doing a a concentration in developmental behavioral peds. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's on our child health and development grant. So we're real excited to have Emily and excited that she is a Mississippian who's dedicated to our Mississippi children. So, um, Emily, the the American Academy of Pediatrics encourages parents to help their children develop healthy media habits. How early is early? How early should we be working on that? Well, um, research um, shows that any type of media use 
besides video chatting is should be avoided before 18 months. And by video chatting, you mean FaceTiming mm-hmm. um, with a parent or grandparents who mm-hmm. live elsewhere. And that's been delightful and can be very helpful. But you just said video chatting. So that means you've got some face-to-face interaction happening, right? Yes. Yeah. And, the, and it's very interactive. You know, yeah. you're talking back and forth. Um so let's talk a little bit more about um, the the specific recommendations from the academy. So for children younger than 18 months, um, they say nothing, right? But when you have a child who's that 18 months to 24 months and then over uh, 24 months, where should we go with that? Uh, between 18 and 24 months, uh it should be limited, and any type of viewing should be done with a parent. Uh, there's some apps out there that are very interactive, and any type of use needs to be done with a parent and limited time. Um, after 24 months, so two years, uh limitations up to an hour or less than an hour a day is recommended. And again, any type of use should be done with a parent. Co-viewing, co-interacting is very important for language development. So let's talk a little bit about why that's so important. Um, If you're co-viewing, that means a parent can reinforce what what the child does next. Or... um, sort of mold them in a different direction. So um, there's some evidence, right, Emily, that um, individuals who have uh, a lot of of, uh, media time and are um, viewing a lot of videos without a parent there, there's some evidence that perhaps language development is not as good. Why do you think that is? Um, when a parent is not there at such a young age, uh, language is just now really developing. Um, words are being formed and being used. And if a parent is not there, they're not hearing those words. They're not hearing how they're appropriately used. Their actions are not reinforced. And hearing and seeing how they're used is really important for a child's language development. Right. So one thing that I try to remind parents is that if if you have a child who says, Mama, and you go, Oh, you said Mama! Yay! Good job! And you reinforce it and you animate, then the baby sees you excited. So they're more likely to do it again, right? But if they say, Mama to the screen and point to the screen or say dada and nobody says dada back that's right that's right and reinforce it then they're less likely to do it again now that sounds very simplistic but you can move that all the way up into adolescent behavior and even adult behavior we love positive reinforcement we all do that's what we like you know, if somebody walks in the room and you're cooking a great meal and they say, oh, you are the best cook. I love it when you cook supper. Thank you so much. You're more likely to keep doing that. And so the same thing goes with just about everything we do and the way we're creating behavior. 
But, okay, so it's not just about language. Um, I want us to go back before the break and and go back and, and sort of talk about empathy. So for a toddler, um, sometimes toddlers show behavior that's, that's pretty close to looking like it's true empathy. Um, like uh, if a two-year-old sees mommy crying about something or seems sad, then he may go give her a cookie or his favorite bunny or whatever right um does do we know for sure he's feeling mama's sadness um not sure about that but evidence is out there that um probably around four children begin to get a little bit better about associating emotions and feelings and so my question to you, listening audience, is do you think that screen time at a young age can really affect a brain? Do you think that you or your relationship has been affected by electronic media? Do you think maybe for the better, or do you think maybe there are some deficits? Are you concerned at all about what's happening to the emotional development and not just sympathy, but the empathetic development of others? I want you to give us a call. We're going to go to our first break. And when we come back, we'll talk maybe about that brain development and could it really be affected? Give us a call at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. We're talking about social media and how it affects our ability to interact with others, our uh, language development, and our brains. This is relatively speaking, and we'll be right back. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back and thanks for listening. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress and today I'm here with Emily Warner, speech pathologist, and we are talking about screen time phone time how does it affect our relationships how does it affect our emotional development and our empathetic behavior the way we can feel others emotions that's my question to you what do you think and what do you think does it really affect our brains Um, I have some information for you in a few minutes but Let's go on to the phones right now and see what our listeners have to say. We have Don in Lexington. Good morning, Don. You have some comments about screen time. Hi, good morning. Actually, it's a, more of a question. Um, 
Sure. Uh, Emily, Emily had said earlier that uh, no screen time before the age of 18 months. And uh, I, I was just curious, is how do you handle a situation like that if, say, one of the parents is in the military and is stationed overseas or is mm-hmm. going to be gone for an extended amount of time? Um, how do you handle still having the, the, the child connect with the parent that's gone? Oh, uh, okay. Emily, yeah, that that's uh, a really I'll, good question, Don. I'll take your. I'll, I'll listen to the answer off the phone. Okay, thanks. Um, yes, that is a really good question. Uh, so the research shows that screen time besides video chatting, so FaceTiming, and that that doesn't mean talking on the phone. That means interacting with an app or staring at a screen with no um, reciprocal communication um so does that answer your question yeah i think exactly i think what what um don you are exactly right Mm -hmm. we are very lucky now to have the ability to facetime or skype or have a webcam whatever you use to be able to interact with um, parents who who are deployed um, or with grandparents who live in another part of the country or aunts or uncles. So um, the recommendation excludes the video chatting. Yes, um, we highly recommend um, any kind of connectivity that a child can do with a parent who has been deployed. And, and many times it, it lessens the the heartbreak that they have from being away and the other issue is that it all also um, allows the parent to be able to watch that child develop especially under the age of two when that brain is so rapidly changing and you know you you go from a newborn who speaks no words to you know by the time they're a year old and deployments often last at least a year uh, by the time that child is a year old they're saying single words they're understanding a ton of information and they're they're becoming very attached to important people so um, Don I'm I'm glad you had us clarify that that is that is an important piece and we'd love to hear from others of you who have used um the social media um in a way to connect the video chatting in a way to connect but um there are some other ways that sometimes can be somewhat um difficult and and maybe dangerous for a child so Um, As we're moving through, I'd love for you to give us a call on the positives and negatives. What do you see that has been very positive about the changes in our ability to communicate? And then maybe some of the negatives. You can give us a call to join in at one 877 mpb ring That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. Now, I told you that we were going to talk a little bit about how does screen time affect developing brains. And um, there's been some recent information that's come out in December of 2018 and some more coming out this year. Um, 
behind a $300 million study that's being conducted right now by the National Institute of Health. And they're using MRI scans, magnetic magnetic resonance scans, uh, to examine the changes in brain structure in children who use smartphones and other screen devices. Well, the first batch of study um, has come out, and... um, It shows that children who spend, listen to this, children who spend more than two hours per day on screens have lower scores on language and thinking tests. That's not such a surprise, is it, Emily? Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Again, for the same reason that we were talking about um, the words not being reinforced, the ability uh, to watch and let stuff sort of stream by you, maybe preventing boredom, maybe filling your brain up with stuff, but not so much with um, the reinforcement Mm -hmm. of your language development. But the other thing that came out is that Kids who spent more time than seven hours a day on electronic devices showed premature thinning of the cortex. That's the top part of the brain, the thinking part of the brain, the gray matter of our brain. And so it looks like we're not, you know, we've talked about if you don't use it, you lose it. Mm-hmm. And so there now, honestly, these studies are going to go on for years from what I can tell from this National Institute of Health study. But that's really, really concerning. And I think that's why um, those who are in the area of brain development and research know that we need some pretty intense study um, looking at this. So terrifying. I I just want everybody to listen that if we don't get a handle on allowing our children to spend hours and hours and hours of unsupervised time on media, that we may really have um, individuals as adults in another 20 years with brains very different than they are now. Well, let's go on back to the phones. We have Alex in Tupelo. Hi, Alex. Thanks for calling. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, I was wondering, basically, uh, kind of the other side of the coin to this empathy thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, children growing up, and I, I guess I'm kind of guilty of this, is there too much empathy? Can there be too much empathy or, you know, the other side of the coin? You know, there's not enough, but can you have too much empathy? And basically, uh, I had a comment about the screens thing. I had read an article where a doctor had said that it was teaching in middle school that uh, kids that are starting to, you know, leave high school and enter college now have used screens so much that they don't have, like, the tactile skills needed to use, like, you know, to stitch and stuff like that. So I thought that was pretty interesting, and, you know, I'll hang up and listen. Okay, Alex. Boy, you brought up two really excellent questions. I'll take the first one about empathy, and then, Emily, you want to make a comment on the on the fine motor skills and maybe gross motor skills too might be Mm -hmm. affected. But um, back to the empathy, Uh, can you have too much? Uh, Actually, 
Yeah, you probably can. Because remember what empathy is. It is feeling another individual's emotions and and really absorbing it completely and and knowing what they're dealing with. So if you have too much of that, sometimes it may make it more difficult for you to be out there if you're one of those people who are trying to help the individual that you're feeling the empathy for problem solve. You may not be able to do it because sometimes if you're feeling horribly sad and and um, or very much taken advantage of, then sometimes it may be difficult to process through what the solution might be. So a little bit of empathy is good. A lot sometimes may uh, not allow you to be the kind of problem solver for the individual. So uh, making sure that you listen, making sure that you try to understand their feelings as best you can is very important. But uh, getting buried in the emotions of it all uh, sometimes can be paralyzing. So you don't want to get into that. Um, the other question that um, Alex had, a very good one, uh, and a lot of work has been done in this area, is that on if you're spending a lot of time sitting and playing video games and uh, on Facebook and engaging in social media, what does it seem that it might be doing with your fine motor and your gross motor skills? Yeah, so you bring up a good point. Uh being a speech pathologist, we primarily look at the communication skills and um, looking at what screen time is doing for those communication skills. But it's also doing something to their gross motor and fine motor. Think about yourself when you're sitting on a phone, you're not moving your body, you're just moving your thumb scrolling. Uh, so that is gonna that could delay that development um, in fine motor. And gross motor, you're not moving around, you're not manipulating toys at a young age. And as you grow older, you're not using those skills as much. And it's kind of sad to see that, that, you know, we're not interacting and moving around our bodies as much. We're just moving a finger at a time. Uh, but that's a very good point. I'm glad you brought that up and to talk about more than just communication. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so... We'd love to hear from others of you who have some thoughts about that. Give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. What do you think? Do you see children are less active? Do you think that's a contributor, perhaps, to what may be going on as far as our less fit society? Um, there's some evidence out there that maybe. Um, you know, I found a, a quote from uh, Dimitri Christakis uh, from Seattle Children's Hospital. He is the lead author of the American Academy of Pediatrics' most recent guidelines on screen time. Um, and he's done a ton of excellent research in the area of media and its effects. And and I, I, this quote I just love from him because it it's so true. He says, in many ways, the concern that investigators like I have is that we're sort of in the midst of a natural kind of uncontrolled experiment on the next generation of children. 
and we kind of are, you know, are we going to have um, the next generation with these two great big huge thumbs and legs that are shriveling away? Mm-hmm. Um, what what are we doing? I mean, it's a it's a really good question. And um, so the other thing before we go to our next break, I just want to make note that most kids say that they spend too much time in their smartphones if you ask them. Um Supposedly, now this is a survey that was done. American teenagers now spend more than four and a half hours on their phones per day. And that's not even counting additional time playing video games, watching TV, using the computer, you know, being in school when they're supposed to be perhaps using a computer. So it's it's really not a big surprise that teenagers think they were spending too much time. The issue, though, is what are if kids think they spend too much time, they're not able, they're teens, they're not able to do anything about it themselves. So it's the responsibility of adults to do something about it. So so what what do we need to do? Listening audience, what do you think we need to do? Okay, um, are we in the middle of a natural experiment for our next generation? What do you listeners think about that? When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about teen development, but then I want to move on to adult development and what are we doing right now to our relationships. Join in. Give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. This is Relatively Speaking, and we'll be right back. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back and thanks for listening. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress here with Emily Warner, speech pathologist, and we are talking about... Oh, smartphone use, screen time, uh, what is it doing to our empathy, to our social communication, to our language development? And now we're talking about what do you think it's doing, maybe even to our fine and gross motor development. So we know that teens think that they're spending too much time on their phone. We know that the best solution is to put the phone down and not spend so much time on the phone. But then we also know that we have a bunch of adults out there who are very poor models. Um, And many of you out there may, if you look, if you think about it and you introspect a little bit, perhaps you're one of those very poor models because you're always on that phone. You're always checking Facebook or doing Instagram. Um, You know, I have some people that I know 
who I receive so many different messages from them, and there's so much posted. I wonder how they have time to do anything else. Has that ever happened to you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So um, while we're talking about this, I have several other things. I want to talk a little bit about a former Google manager who's spoken publicly about smart devices and the addiction, but we'll get to that in a few minutes. I I want, Emily, if you will, talk to us a little bit about the Wait Until 8 campaign and what that is and why you think that might be important. Uh, so preparing for this show, I actually found this campaign that was started in Austin, Texas, and it's called Wait Until the 8th. And it's a promise uh, that parents sign off on uh, promising to wait until their child is in the eighth grade to buy a smartphone. Um, I want to emphasize smartphone because this pledge or um, campaign does not include the use of a basic cell phone or flip phone. And that is so parents are able to get in touch with their child until the eighth grade. Right. Right. So I think a lot of parents have been really concerned about the, um, well, they love the ability to be able to be in touch mm-hmm. with their child um, for pickup, from practice, for any kind of function, if the child feels that they're in danger or anything. Um, so the flip phone, uh, just a real basic phone and not a smartphone is something that, you know, I don't think anybody thinks um, is problematic. Mm-hmm. It's akin to the old phone mm-hmm. where you couldn't surf the internet and FaceTime and send Instagrams and do Snapchat just a phone to stay connected. Now, of course, I'm one who grew up in a society where you couldn't even do that. And, you know, somehow we survived. It's it's really interesting to me that we spend so much time feeling like we have to be uh, tethered to each other so much. I wonder if, uh, and I'd love to hear from our listening audience uh, about this, do do any of you out there think that um, that phone connection, that continual connection that we feel we need, does that conti- contribute to being more dependent on other people? Do you feel like you always have to have somebody connected? That's one question I have out there. The other question that I have to you is, do you think Creativity is going away because our brains are always filled up with people either talking in our ear or sending us messages or pictures. Um, give us a call at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Here's another question that I have. Um, I wonder how many people, do you know this? Because you found that wait until the 8th. Mm-hmm. Um, how many How many signed on to that? Is that a movement that is really working? Or is everybody so entrenched in their need for that smartphone and to have their child privileged to have the f- smartphone that they can't let go of that idea? Do you know how much traction it's gotten? Um I believe when the article I was reading, it said 10,000 
families have signed this uh, promise. And um, it just, it helps when your child, I feel like the main issue of buying a smartphone so early is that other children have these smartphones. And so it really does help a family if your child's friend's family signs on to the pledge, then um, it helps that child not want that uh, social media interaction or that screen time when their friends don't have it either. Right. You know, that's something that I did as a parent, and I recommend to parents to do, is find your child's friend's parents and talk with them. Uh, sit down and go over your expectations and what you allow your child to do. We did this a lot about curfews, about um, as they got older, as how early they were going to drive, that, for example, my child, because he was one of the older ones, my oldest son was one of the older ones in his class, um, he was able to drive sooner. But we had rules that he couldn't have um, friends in the car the first year he was driving. Um, He couldn't be the ride guy for everybody. He had to practice driving by himself um, after he drove with us a lot, that he couldn't have any other distractors in the car. If I ever caught him with a phone in his hand, then he would um, lose the phone and lose driving privileges. So to make sure that everybody is on the same page, if you can get parents to do that, your point is so correct that um, when everybody around them is doing the same thing, they're more likely to follow suit, right? Mm-hmm. It's easier to implement it. Okay. Um, are we ready to take? We've got a couple of callers. Not quite ready. Okay. Um, so, oh, it looks like, yes, we have Joe in Magnolia. Joe, uh, thanks yeah, for calling in. A lucky day. I called twice and I got in twice. Oh, good. I was like singing about quarter in the mind of children because children have to have a place to stop thinking listen to you know and you have to take even if it's 30 minutes a day with each child that you got my mother has six i don't know how the hell she did she had five <laughs> boys and a girl she was a powerful little woman she was only five foot tall but like like a ball of tnt you can't you and she didn't speak no English. My mother was full, you know, full-blooded Sicilian, but she was uh-huh. born in this country, went back to Sicily, and found my father and has five kids over there, then came to this country and had me. Wow. I'm just, you know, and I try to put myself in my father's shoes a lot, you know, yeah. try to say, what was it like to be born in 1906? Yeah, you know, wow. with, with Mussolini in the background, you know, and my father living in uh, Palermo, Terramina, Sicily, you know, and and that's where he was born. So, he Joe, was, yeah, yeah, Joe, let me just say something right right here. I, very quickly, um, you're so right is feel filling the minds of other of children with something other than um, what's coming across that FaceTime or that smartphone. Um, what a wonderful thing for a child to sit down with you 
who has experiences of your your parents and that you talk to your parents and you you were able to to know their experiences i feel that we're losing out on so much of that because people don't take time to sit down with individuals who have had those incredible experiences i feel like they're being lost because the kids um and the parents you know our young parents and our maybe older parents I I so regret not having more talk time with my mother and father when they were able to tell me about their experiences and my grandparents and their experiences in the old country Um, so your your point is a good one I, I think we need to keep that in mind little magazine I used to get when I was a kid. I would think it was Highlight. Uh-huh. It was a children's magazine. And I, you know, I got. I was a good reader, and I was a good printer. I could write good. I had good penmanship, but I was just never able to grasp. Uh, like I was just saying, find out what I was good at. I was a North Atlantic fisherman. I knew that I could be a fisherman because I lived right there at the docks. Yeah. Pretty much. And uh, that, you know, I'm from Gloucester, Massachusetts. I'm from uh, where that boat went down in the perfect storm. And, you know, there was only minutes between me being lost with them, you know. But, that, wow. but that, when I came here to Mississippi, I had found out they had gone down. I didn't even know they had gone down because I was on a scallop boat out of Virginia. And by the time I got back down to Virginia, I was I needed to... Uh, well, I had mangled my thumb in a, uh, in a in a block, and it was an emergency, and they just brought me to the dock. Yeah, but that that perfect storm was blowing out there, so I was kind of blessed. I think that was a blessing in disguise. So you've got lots of great stories, Joe. You need to share them with your grandchildren, nieces, nephews, whoever's out there. You need to share. Those are great stories. And so, listeners, see if we would just sit down and do a face to face talk with someone. How much is out there that we're probably missing? All right. Thanks, Joe, so much for your call. We appreciate it. Um, Let's stay on the phones before our next break. We have Don in Lexington. Um, Don, hi. Hey, how are you? Great. Now, you have something about functioning without a phone. Uh, Talk to us about your thoughts there. Okay. um, I heard about this on, on NPR a while back. Uh-huh. But then I actually uh, experienced this situation, and it has to do with the younger generation um, being dependent upon phones and GPSs and stuff. I was trying to give directions to a young engineer I was working with, and I said, well, you go up I-55 North until you get to exit so-and-so, and then you turn east. And he looked at me with a blank <laughs> stare, and I said, do you, do you know which direction north is? And he goes, No. And I said, I-55 runs north or south or east or west. He goes, I don't know. I said, how do you, how do you get around? He goes, my GPS says Uh-huh. Yeah. So, I mean, there, there are some, some situations where people are so dependent upon their phones that they can't function or their GPS systems or electronics. Yeah. That they can't function without it. I, I, I just found that flabbergasting. Yeah. Don, you are bringing up something that has been looked at. Will people be completely unable to read a map? You know, back in the old days, we pulled out those big maps. You'd stop at a gas station and you'd get a map of the state that you were in and you would 
um, open that thing up and figure out where to go next. And um, you're absolutely right. I saw another article recently about whether or not our society is losing the skill to be able to read a map. Um, so I would encourage, I'm guilty because I've never had a great sense of direction. I do know north and south, but um, I will say that uh, GPS is a nice crutch, but it'd be really great. And remember, even in the United States, there are places that you can go now. I mean, I was just in South Mississippi and driving back up to North Mississippi. There was about a, a 30 miles where my phone didn't connect. So if you completely rely on GPS, there's an opportunity for you to get lost. So, um Don, your point is very well taken, and I think we need to keep that in mind as we're moving along. And what we're doing to our brains, if you don't use it, you will lose it. So, uh, Jay, can we stay on the phones? Yeah, he's nodding at me. Um, I want to make sure we get to Tim. We have Tim in Osaka. Hi, Tim. Thanks for calling. Hello. Uh, I just had a comment. Uh you were talking earlier about uh, 10,000 folk, parents that had agreed not to get their kid a phone until eighth grade. Right. Okay. You got to think of it this way. If you take them 10,000 kids, they don't get, they do not have a smartphone or iPhone until they're in the eighth grade. Think about the other group of kids that do have smartphones and iPhones at an early age, say eight years old. And that eight-year-old that has that phone early, they are tech-savvy by the time the other kid is just getting an iPhone or a smartphone and wondering what the heck to do. Everything is oh, tech-savvy these days. You have to think about that, por- that portion of it also. Yeah. Uh, okay, Tim. So the recommendation is not to not... Um, have the ability to be on an electronic device. It's to not allow them to have their own smartphone. So, um, you know, certainly children, right? Your, your point is absolutely correct. The idea of not allowing a child's screen time um, at all is probably not appropriate because right now our colleges, our universities, our medical schools, our dental schools, our law schools, everybody is using um, computers. Nobody does handwritten reports anymore. Um, People do a lot of their research on uh, electronic devices and and the like. And so that's a really important point to remember. So it is not saying that they shouldn't be able to use electronic devices. Right, Emily? Right. Go ahead. Um, And also, I think this campaign is trying to prevent that constant social media or that constant screen that you always have access to. Um, Limiting that time to scroll through social media, I think, is really what this campaign is um, based off of. Yeah. 
So, you know, is that absolutely um, something that the, to wait until eighth grade is is the most important, Tim? You're, I hear your point. I think if parents, the sad part is, um, and I can say it as a parent, sometimes it's really hard to stand up to the pressures all around you. But if parents can stand up to the fact that the majority of other kids are allowed to stay on their phones um, all the time and not use them just for needed communication and and all that we would like for them to be connected. If if they can stand up to that, then I see no problem having a smartphone before eighth grade. The issue is, can you really put the limits on the child? Um, can you really stand up to the pressures? I cannot tell you how many times as a parent, um, one of my children said, well, so-and-so's dad or mom said that they could do whatever. And my comment always was, and I'm not that parent. (laughs) I am your parent, and you are lucky enough to have me. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. Uh, I, I would love to hear from others. I think we have a, a couple of minutes maybe for another caller. But, Tim, your point is well taken, and absolutely children need to know how to uh, be able to use electronic devices. They need to learn how to type right this very minute. If I could give no other advice to a parent right now, um, yes, handwriting is important, but being able to use a keyboard is very, very important. And uh, go ahead and let them start using them now. Um, Emily, any other comments about? Uh, Well, I kind of wanted to go back until the wait until the eighth yeah, um, campaign for just a second. Uh, I think it's also trying to hold off on giving them the phone, obviously, but it's also trying to improve that human interaction, which goes back to empathy, being able to look up and feel what that person is feeling based off of their um, facial expressions. How do we learn that when we're constantly looking down at a phone at a very young age? Very excellent point. And so the same thing goes. Let's move on in our last minute or two to adults, because I really want us to remember that um, we as adults, there are many out there. You can go into many restaurants and see two adults sitting at a table together, looking at their smart devices and not at each other. And so um, keep in mind, not only are you losing the ability to enhance your relationship, to feel what another person is feeling, to really let them know you care about what they're thinking and saying, um, you are losing that ability if you don't put that down and look at that loved one in the eye. To me, that would be one of the best Valentine's <laughs> presents, by the way, that you could give someone is to set, to take their hand, hold their hand, look in their eyes and say, tell me what, tell me about your day. Tell me about what you're thinking. Um, tell me about what you want to do in the future. 
try to have those conversations with someone you care about. Um, And also, like Joe, ask those people, those older individuals who have had incredible experiences over the years, ask them to tell them a little bit, tell you a little bit about their life. I think that that would be such a really important thing to do. So um, don't create a virtual distance. Make sure that you stay connected with your loved one. Put the phone down at dinner. Put the phone down um, when someone is trying to talk to you and um, work on that eye contact. I promise it'll go a long way for letting people know that you really Mm -hmm. care. So, Emily, our hour's up. Thank you so much. Uh, This was great. And I want to thank all our uh, callers and listeners for being on with us today. Um, Important important issues going on all the time. All right. Well, uh, Relatively Speaking um, is a production of Southern Remedy. And it was engineered by Jay White, our call screener. I'm not sure who was our call screener. Uh, Java. Thanks, Java. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and I hope you'll join us next Tuesday at 11 for Relatively Speaking, and that you'll stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now coming up next on MPB Think Radio.